As we open God's word together, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we open your word together, we ask that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of you. Strengthen us with all power according to Christ's glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. And hear our prayers for we ask them in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in God's word to the book of Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3. Joshua is the sixth book of the Old Testament. You'll find that on page 228 of the Pew Bibles and between the books of Deuteronomy and Judges. And while you're turning there, I'll, I'll say thank you for indulging us singing a rather awkward tune to sing. That's Psalm 68 from the Genevan Psalter. So that was how they would have sung Geneva, uh, how in the Geneva church they would have sung Psalm 68. So it's a tune that's a little unfamiliar to us. Uh, and it's worth thinking about because it's also the psalm often martyrs would sing as they were going to be burnt at the stake uh, to remind those who would uh, try to put down God's church that God would arise by his might and see that his enemies would be scattered. And so it's a psalm that has always meant much to God's people, and hopefully we'll see the connection it has to our passage this evening. So Joshua chapter 3, if you're visiting with us, we've just begun a series through the book of Joshua, and we've come to chapter 3, and we want to read this chapter together. So let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man, And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand 
in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam the city that is beside Zarethan, and those flowing down towards the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Thus far the reading of God's word May he bless it to us. Um, This is a wonderful story of what God does for his people. Um, It's a true story. Just because I call it a story doesn't want anyone to think I'm saying it's not a true story. It's a true story. Um, But as any good storyteller knows, there are many different ways to tell a story. Um, And this story is told to us in the book of Joshua in such a way that the tension continues to build throughout. Uh, Because the great question is, that is, that is standing before God's people in this passage is, how are we going to get across this river? Um, and you'll notice that that is not really made known until the end, until the moment comes and the waters are cut off and the people pass over on dry land. There's tension and anticipation that's being built throughout this narrative. Um, it's, it's the important moment of God's people. This is a pivotal moment in God's story of redemption. This is the moment that God's people finally pass into the land that was promised to Abraham so many centuries before. Uh, God's people will finally cross the Jordan and enter into the land that God has promised to his people. Um, And Joshua has been given that command, enter into the land and take possession of it. Um, And we we notice that in chapter 2, we had this important interlude where there is salvation first for Rahab before any conquest begins in the land. But now that God has accomplished that saving mission, he returns to the mission that he has given to Joshua. The people are going to go into the land. They are going to take possession of the land. And the first obstacle that stands before them is crossing the river uh, at the height of its flood. Um, And by God doing this miracle to bring them across this river, it's going to teach the people important things about what God is going to do for them right out of the gate. Um, Important things that God wants his people to understand and important purposes that he wants to reveal through this miracle that he does in the sight of all of Israel. So we want to think about this miracle and the God's purposes for his people in this miracle. And what does God want his people to take away from this miracle? What are his purposes in this? It's so that God's people really in every generation would be encouraged to follow his path to know his presence, and to see his power. That's what God wants his people to understand through this miracle. He wants God's people to follow his path, to know his presence, and to see his power. Um, This this first part of the story is all about movement. It's all about following where God has commanded them to go. We begin with the people of God moving to their encampment at Shittim, right near the Jordan River. 
Um, and so we find them moving in verse 3, or in, in, in chapter 3, verse 1. They come and they camp, and they camp for three days. Um, and I think that's an important note, not just to give us the historical chronology of what happens, um, but because they're there for three days, what does this mean for all of the people of God? They get a really good look at the Jordan River, right? They know that they've got to go from here to there, but they spend three days encamped by this river that was raging along at this time of year. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to the Holy Land. Maybe you've seen the Jordan River and it didn't strike you as a particularly difficult obstacle to be crossed. Uh, maybe you had even built it up in your mind as being this big river and then you saw it and you're like, this is it, this is this is the Jordan River. Um, it's, it's not always flowing. And, and we said this morning, their, their climate was a lot like our climate. And we don't have raging rivers most of the year around here. Um, I remember when I first moved to, to Torrance and someone talked about the L.A. River. And I said, oh, I didn't know that L.A. had a river. And someone said, well, they call it the L.A. River. It's a big flood channel, uh, the concrete flood channel that just collects all the rainwater. And so, you know, you've seen it in movies. They've driven cars through it. It's dry most of the year. But anytime you get any rain, all of the rain in the hills would pour down and it would storm through and the L.A. River would become a very dangerous storm flood. Um, and that's the way water works around here. You have rivers that'll be little trickles, and then when the rain falls, they really flow. And that was particularly true for the Jordan River um, because it sits in the deepest river valley in the world. Um, the waters in the Jordan River flow down from uh, Mount Lebanon, which is at about 9,000 feet elevation, to 700 feet below sea level when they flow into uh, the Dead Sea. And or when they flow into the Sea of Galilee, it's 700 feet below sea level, and then it flows down from there into the Dead Sea, which is 1,349 feet below sea level. Now, to give you some picture of how deep that is, Death Valley is 200 and some feet below sea level. Well, the Dead Sea is 1,300 feet below sea level. So this is a deep river valley that goes down a steep incline as it flows, um, and it probably descends about, on average, 40 feet per mile. So that's a, that's a steeply flowing river. And when there's a lot of water in it, that means it's flowing very fast. And the note we're given in this, in this text reminds us that this was the time of year when it's at its height, it's at its flood. When the river was probably 100 feet across, 10 to 12 feet deep, and roaring by. And you would be camped there for three days to get a good look at this river that you know you're supposed to go into the promised land on the other side, but the whole time you'd be meant to think, how are we ever going to get past this river? Um, it's, it's meant to be this great obstacle that God's people get a good look of, get a good look at until the command comes in verse 2. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. And what happens in this narrative is what takes center stage is the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. It dominates the narrative from here on out in this chapter and in the following chapter. It becomes the important focus of our attention. Because all God's people know is that when the Ark sets out, you're to follow it. Uh, that, that's all they're told at this point. 
Um, and the ark is thought of as being the movement of God. Um, God's presence was thought to dwell over the ark. When the ark moved, it was as if God was moving. They even talked about the ark as if it moved on its own. Now, we know that the priests carried the ark. We're told that in this narrative. But as the, as the words spoke of the ark, it was so clear that God was moving. God was directing when the ark moved. They talked about it almost as if it moved on its own. Um, we read in Numbers 10.33, So they set out from the mount of the Lord, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them to seek out a resting place for them. You see how the ark is almost personified as moving on its own? It's the ark that's seeking a resting place for God's people. And that, that was sort of their, what they were taught, what they learned, that when the ark got up to move, and God's people got up to move to follow the ark, and boys and girls would ask the same que- kinds of questions that boys and girls ask today. They might say, Mom and Dad, why are we setting out? And they would say, the ark is setting out. And what the children always want to know, why? Why is the ark setting out? And God gave an answer that they could give to their children. Why is the ark setting out? It's seeking a resting place for us. Um, Now, children had been hearing that for decades. The ark is seeking out a resting place for us. That's what it meant when the ark moves. And so God's people are being called to follow called to follow where the ark is moving. And when the ark moved, it was a rather big production. Um, now, when I, read this, when I read this story to you and, you, and you thought about it in your mind's eye, you pictured it as I was reading it, um, how did you see the ark? What I mean by it is this. In your mind's eye, do you see this big golden chest being carried out in front of the sight of all the people? Because that's not how they ever saw the ark. They never saw the ark exposed like that. There were strict rules for how the ark was to be moved. Um, We read about those rules in the book of Numbers. First, Aaron and his sons would prepare the ark to be moved. We read in Numbers 4, 5, and 6, When the camp set out, Aaron and his sons shall go in and take down the veil of the screen and cover the ark of of testimony with it. Then they shall put it on it a covering of goat skin and spread on top of that all a cloth of all blue, and it shall and shall put in its poles. And so what we're told is that the high priest and his sons would come and they would actually take down the veil on the Holy of Holies and then walk that veil over the ark and cover it. So they didn't have to go into the Holy of Holies or see the ark. They would just go in and cover it with the screen. And then they would cover it with goat skin to protect it as it traveled. Then they would cover it with a cloth of blue. Um, And why did they cover it with a cloth of blue? It's again for the boys and girls. Because if you see the the priest carrying something that's covered by blue cloth, and the boys and girls ask, Dad, what's that? Mom, what are they carrying? You could say, that's the Ark of the Covenant. That's the Ark of the Covenant, seeking a place for us to rest. But they never saw it. It was always covered. Um, in fact, Aaron and his sons were to cover it, and then a whole other group of people were to come in and carry it. Aaron and his sons covered it, but they weren't to move it. There was someone else who would move it. 
in Numbers 4.15, when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings, the sons of Kohath shall come to carry these, but they must not touch the holy things, lest they die. And so you can see the, the care that was taken. One group of priests would cover it, and then they would and put in the poles, and then they would not do anything more. Another set of priests would come in, and all they would touch would be the poles. Not anything else, lest they die. And when they were all set, then something was said before they would move out. And this is what was said whenever the ark set out. We read in, in Numbers 10.35. Whenever the ark set out, Moses said, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. Um, now, where did we hear that? That was in Psalm 68. Um, it's, it's reciting those words that when the Lord set out, that's what was announced. Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you fear before you. And God's people are told, when you see all this, follow. Follow wherever the ark leads. Trusting that it is seeking for you a place of rest. Trusting that the Lord will scatter his enemies before you as he goes. So follow it. But you'll notice in verse 4 he says, follow it at a distance. Follow it at a distance. Um, A little over half a mile, in case your reckoning of cubits is not up to snuff today. Um, how How far away were they to follow it? Maybe a little over half a mile away. Roughly from here up Mass Boulevard to Cuyamaca Street. Maybe not quite that far, but about that. So it's a good distance that they were to follow. They were to stay back and watch where the ark went and follow wherever the ark went. Um, They're to stay back, to follow God at at a distance because he's going to lead them on a way they've never gone before. Uh, If you've been wandering in the desert for 40 years, it's good news to hear that you're going to go somewhere you haven't been before. That we're going a new place. We're going a new way. Um, We're going to see something new. Go somewhere we haven't been before. And that when God leads them there, he is going to do something wonderful. Uh, That's what's being announced to them in verse 5. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. That's always language for a miracle, something truly awesome. And so the tension is building. What is God going to do? What is God calling? What is all this preparing and leading and following? What is this going to bring God's people to? And the tension is built because it's not explained to us yet. So the command is carried out in verse 6, follow the ark. The priests come in, in verse 8, they do what they're called to do. They go and they lead, they bring the ark into and stand in the water. And the people are told what they're told in verses 9 through 11 to prepare themselves uh, for what's going on. But the tension is continuing to build because we're not exactly sure what's going to happen when they follow. And we read through to the end, so we've broken a little bit of that tension. But as we think about this narrative building, right now they don't know where they're going. They know that if they follow, they're going to see something wonderful. But at this point, all they've been told is just follow and trust me. And I think it's, pro- it's probably worth us pausing and thinking about this 
moment in the story and reflecting on it before we go on to rush in and consider the miracle, to think about the fact that this is kind of where we are in the world. God's people are often living in this kind of context, in full view of the obstacles that stand before us in the world, seeing clearly just how difficult our calling is in this world, just how difficult the things we face in this world are, things that can seem just as insuperable to us as the Jordan River at its flood flood must have seemed to them. How are we going to follow? Where is God leading us? Right, The temptation to think there's nowhere to go. That way there's nowhere to go. It's kind of a dead end. What's going to happen when they get to the river with this heavy gold box and step into a fast-flowing river that's 10 to 12 feet deep? This doesn't sound like a plan for success. And if we're honest, we feel that way sometimes. Because God says to His people all the time, follow me in the way that I will show you. Um, Even though you might not know where we're going or how we're going to get there, follow me. I'm seeking out a place of rest for you. Um, Your enemies will be scattered before you. It's not unlike the calling that Jesus gave when he was in the world. Matthew 16, 24 to 25, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Everyone who heard that would have said, we know where people carrying crosses are going. And there's no future in it. You carry your cross until someone nails you to it. And then you die. But what does Jesus go on to say in the next verse? For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What seemed like a call to die is a call to live. That those who follow his path find life. Those who follow his path find him, the Lord who was crucified in our place and took our deaths upon himself that we might receive his life. And so it's a call to God's people to trust and to follow him. It's somewhat amazing that that's what all the people did. Um, One of the things, one of the wonderful things about the book of Joshua is that the people are so changed from what they were in their wilderness wanderings. There are not grumblers in this new generation. Nobody, you don't hear, a, you know, and then they grumbled at Joshua. Where are we going to go? There's nowhere to go. Like, why should I get all packed up just to walk to the edge of the river and go nowhere? Right? There's no, there's no grumbling. They follow. And that's what God's people are called to do, to follow in faith, to consecrate ourselves and follow the Lord, um, to do what he calls us to do in Romans 13, 12 to 14, Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies, drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to satisfy its desires. Follow his path. And why? Because those who follow his path will know his presence. Uh, that's what God's people are promised in this, pa- in this passage, that those who follow the Lord's path 
will know his presence. What is one of the great purposes in this passage? It's first so that Joshua, God's presence with him will be known among the people. This is the first real test of Joshua's leadership. Now that Moses is dead and Joshua is called to lead God's people in this new era, this is really the first test of his leadership after they've had such wonderful leadership from Moses. And what is the intention of this miracle is so that God's people would know that he is with Joshua as their leader. Um, This is the revelation that we're promised in verse 7. The Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Important for Joshua and for his leadership among the people that they know the Lord is with him. And the Lord's promise here is they will know my presence with you. And his presence will be made clear through the miracle that's going to happen. This is exactly what happened with Moses as the leader of God's people. He was exalted in the sight of the people when he led them safely across the Red Sea. It validated him as a leader among God's people. Exodus 14.31 tells us, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, and so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. They knew that the Lord was with Moses. And likewise, they are going to know that the Lord is with Joshua. Just as he was with Moses, so he is with Joshua as they lead him forward. But it will also be not just so God's people see that God is present with Joshua, but so they know that God is present with them. That God goes with them into this land. Um, This wonderful land that is promised to them, but is filled with enemies. God wants his people to know his presence. Joshua in verse 10 says, And here is how you shall know that the living God is among you. Right? So God is going to make clear the fact that he is among them. He is in their midst. And because he is in their midst, he will not fail to drive out their enemies. Because who is it that's passing over with them into the promised land? The Lord of all the earth. The Lord of all the earth, behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing before you into the Jordan. The Lord is the Lord of all the earth. You notice that's not all capital letters. It's not his covenant name. It's reminding us he is the master of all the earth. He is the king over all. He goes before his people. And when he goes before his people, it's going to be proof that he will surely drive out all of their enemies. Um, And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing. And the waters coming down from above shall stand up in one heap. You will know the Lord is with you when that river stops flowing. And you can imagine sort of people looking over at the river. That river is going to stop flowing. Yeah. As soon as the soles of their feet touch the water, that river is going to stop flowing. And then you'll know that the Lord is with you. That the Lord who is with you is the ruler of all the earth. And that all his enemies will flee before him. And that he will go before them into the promised land to give them 
the possession of the land that he promised to their fathers. He will without fail scatter their enemies before him. It's a reminder to them that God is the great Lord over all. Jeremiah gives testimony to him in Jeremiah 27.5. It is I who by my great power and my outstretched arm have made the earth with the men and animals that are on the earth and I give it to whomever it seems right to me. And I will drive out this people and I will place you in this land. This is God, who God is for his people. And this is who God still is for his people. Uh, that same God who was with them is the same God who is with us. Um, we just know him in a more personal and familiar way in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Lord who went before them. He is the Lord who went before them to scatter their enemies prior to his incarnation. It was the second person of the Trinity who went before God's people. He is the ruler over all the earth. He is the Lord over all. And he has come to give his people rest. That's what always he has been on the move to do. The Lord who is with us always to the very end of the age. Who comes to scatter the enemies of his people and to bring them into rest. That has always been his purpose. Um, He is what exactly Joshua describes here. Jesus is the living God. The one who was dead but is alive forevermore. He is the ruler over all the earth. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He leads his people into rest by opening the way for them that they could not pass through themselves. That's one of the wonderful things that the New Testament testifies to us. Hebrews 6.20 says Jesus is the forerunner. He's the one who goes before us and prepares the way, opens the door, and then holds open the door so that we might pass through. He's the one who brings his people rest. That's what he promised in John 14, 1 through 3. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Just as God wanted his people then to know his presence, so he wants us to know his presence with us. So that we would see his power for his people displayed. And that's what we see as God's people are encouraged to follow his path and know his presence. God gives them a clear vision of his power. Um, and one of, the, one of the effects of following at such a distance is you get to see the miracle in all of its glory. You have to imagine yourself as one of these Israelites setting out, and before you, about a half mile away, is the Ark of the Covenant going before you, and you see the vast river that's flowing, and the Ark going down into the river. And so you're seeing all of this happen at a distance, and then at a distance of, of about a half a mile away, what do you see happen? That They step into the river... And it's as if you watch the river run away from them in both directions. Because the water flowing down the river flows away speedily down the valley. And the water coming down from above races upstream. And so at a half mile back, you get a good vision of just how the river disappears in both directions. 
downstream, which might not be so impressive, but upstream is very impressive. Um, now, it flows all the way up, we're told, to the city of Adam, which I know your geography of the Holy Land is really good, but that's 19 miles away. So it heaps up to an extent where they wouldn't have been able to see it over the horizon. And so what does it look like when you're that far back and the ark hits the water? From your perspective, it's, it's as if the, the river runs away from the ark of the covenant. And that's exactly how God's word tells us to think of that miracle. It's as if the river ran away in fear at the presence of the Lord. That's how Psalm 114 tells us to think of the miracles at the Jordan and at the Red Sea. The sea looked and fled. The Jordan turned back. What ails you, O sea, that you flee? O Jordan, that you turn back. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. It's as if the earth is afraid of the presence of God. And if rivers fear, if mountains shake, if seas run away from him, it shows that no enemy that's going to stand before him will be able to stand. And you see this miracle as God's people happen in front of your eyes, and then you walk down to that river valley, and you see standing there securely in the middle of the river the Ark of the Covenant. Veiled but there, standing resolute in the middle of the river, on dry ground. And you pass by it on dry ground. And maybe before you realize it, you're standing in the promised land. Um, I mean, I, I would be rubbernecking the, the ark if I were, you know, like we do with traffic accidents, watching us. You know, that, was, that would be where your attention would be fixed as you walked by the ark. But it might suddenly occur to you that, you know what, I'm, I'm in the promised land. We're in. We've arrived. Here we are now standing where Abraham was promised and never lived. Where God's people have been looking to get for centuries. The land we've heard of as our land when we were slaves and children of slaves. And now we're here. We've finally come home. And why has it happened? Because the Lord has arisen. And by his might has scattered his enemies before him. Uh, that supreme image of God's dwelling among his people has directed all that has taken place. The Lord from his throne is moving so that his people pass through the obstacles into rest. And that still can testify to God's people, can't it? That the Lord will do what he's promised. The Lord will remove every obstacle until his people have, have entered the rest that he's promised to them. Um, this is a wonderful picture for us of the Lord of the covenant removing every obstacle that stood between his people and their place of rest. And that's, of course, what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us in his death. One commentator said, Our sins and God's wrath lay between God and us. But the Lord Jesus has prepared a way for us through the barrier, if only we believe in him. Just think of the, all the Israelites who walked past the ark and looked at it as they entered Canaan. 
we likewise are to look to the Lord Jesus Christ and achieve eternal peace with God. And there's only one way to pass through and enter into rest. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He testifies wonderfully to us that he has opened a door that no one can close. That he's opened a way for us into glory. He is the living one who has made the way. And he says to us, anyone who believes in me will find rest. Anyone who looks to me in faith will enter in. They will pass into that land and hear as they pass into that glory the voice of their Savior saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. If we enter in, it's because the Lord has opened the way. The only one who could open the way. May we all believe in Jesus Christ and find rest for our souls. In his name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Let's go to him in prayer together. Father in heaven, that is our earnest prayer, that all would believe and enter into rest. We know that the obstacles we cannot pass on our own, that only Christ Jesus can open the way, and we can be assured that just as he opened the way through the Jordan for your people to pass into the land of Canaan, so too he will open the way for us to cross over death and enter into the heavenly promised land. We thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ and for his power, and may we think back often to this wonderful miracle that your people saw so many years ago, and remind ourselves how we should follow your paths and know that you will be present with us always and that we will see your power in all that you do. We thank you that we have seen your power revealed in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and that we will see his power again when he comes in glory to make all things new. May we all believe in him that we might enter that rest that he's promised and truly find rest for our souls. Hear our prayers. We pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take up our psalters and as a song of response, sing number 114. Uh, we're going to sing it to a little different tune than's printed there. We'll sing it um, to, the, to the tune of number 411, which I think is a more familiar hymn. Um, so I won't put you through two difficult tunes twice. So this is the tune of Shout for the Blessed Jesus Reigns. So we'll stand together and sing all the verses of Psalm 114.
beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lift up your hearts now to the Lord and receive his blessing. And may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. People of God, go in peace.